For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. Are, we're done, right? We're done. Okay, great. I just want to make sure I didn't like pull a Phil and walk up here. Yeah. Uh, Phil's, Phil's a good sport. Um, appreciate him letting me tease him a little bit. Uh, every time I'm here on a Sunday morning and I see all the different members of this congregation get up here and do what Phil did just now, lead communion, uh, or lead the Lord's Prayer and offer reflections, I'm always really amazed uh, by the depth and the quality of the people that we have in this congregation. Every time I get up here at this point, I often feel like I have been to church and um, not sure what more I can bring to the table, but I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's quote in his little book, The Weight of Glory, where he essentially says that if we could see each other the way we really exist, that we would be tempted to worship each other because that's how beautiful we are. And every time Phil or Melody or Jen or Alex or Janelle or any of you get up here and lead us in those moments, I'm always really struck by the amazing beauty possessed by everybody who comes up here and really opens their hearts and sort of bleeds in front of us uh, when they say what they have to say. And so I'm just really grateful for that. But I'm still going to tease Phil a little bit when he walks up before the music's over. All right. We are in the midst of a new teaching series called Conversations with Jesus. The idea behind this is that we are pulling narratives out of the Gospels where Jesus has a conversation with somebody. And we're asking, what can we learn about living a life of faith from these passages? And so today we're going to take a look at the earliest conversation that I can find Jesus having. It is Jesus as a boy in the temple. We're going to read that passage together. I'm going to share with you some of my perspectives on this. And I'm going to ask you to talk to each other about how you are responding to this as well. Something that we often do in this church is somebody will get up here and do a little bit of talking, but we may ask you to talk to each other about what is being revealed in these passages. So we're going to do that a little bit today. That's sort of fair warning for the introverts in the room. But before we do that, why don't we just take a moment to pray? Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today. We ask that you would be present today in our hearts and our minds as we continue to raise our voices and bring uh, ourselves before this text and read what it has to say and interact with uh, the secrets that are contained there. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear uh, what you have to say to us today and to see what you have to reveal, whatever that might be. We ask that you would uh, break our hearts a bit for each other and for those that we are in contention with. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50 is our passage today. I'm going to go ahead and read this to you first, and then I'm going to ask you to chat a little bit about it together. Starting in verse 41, it says, Now every year his parents, of course, talking about Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem, for the festival of, of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went on a day's journey. It's important for you to know that this was a kind of pilgrimage for Jesus' family. He lived a great distance away. So a day into the journey back home, his parents realized that he is missing. Don't judge them too harshly. This would have been a caravan of family and friends, and it would have been normal for kids to like sort of you know, wander amongst the members of their group. Nevertheless, when they did not find him, they returned, this is verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Another day's journey all the way back. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking him questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. If you're a parent like me, just reading this story of a child missing for several days, maybe, you know, strikes some anxiety in your hearts. Uh, just yesterday, my wife and I had the privilege of hosting our oldest daughter's baby shower. Uh, we are destined to become grandparents sometime around the end of October, which is a bit of an existential crisis, let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, but the shower was a lot of fun, and you know, all of her friends were there. We hosted it up in LA, which is where her and her husband live. Uh, it's a, a real privilege to be able to meet her friends uh, who we've been hearing about for years, but we don't like hang out with her friends. That would be weird, right? Uh, so we got to meet a lot of her friends for the first time. And I was really struck uh, just by how much fear there is in parenting which might sound odd, you know, for me to suddenly sort of become aware of that at a baby shower. Uh, but y'all, my baby is about to have a baby. Um, there's a famous story in our family where at her birth, Savannah, this is our oldest daughter, she's 29, at Savannah's birth, Janelle was laboring in the, in the hospital bed. And I uh, was delighted to find several copies of like, you know, Road and Track magazine on the end table, uh, which I found intensely interesting for some reason. And I was flipping through the pages of Road and Track while Janelle is like, you know, and the nurse had very helpfully come in a few minutes before and shown me like this device that was measuring her contractions. And she said to us, when like this line gets up to this point, that's when you know the contractions are getting rough. Well, the line was still way down at the bottom. So Janelle was experiencing labor and I was like, well, we got a long ways to go. I'm gonna read a magazine, you know. <laughs> I know, it's not very flattering, but at one point Janelle said, put the magazine down. <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, you've got a long ways to go. Uh, the point is, is for some reason, I, I as a 21-year-old uh, father-to-be, was not afraid of my wife going into labor. I, I thought, women do this every day. It's perfectly natural. 
She's going to be fine. And of course, thank God she was fine. Um, but 29 years later, I'm genuinely terrified for my daughter to give birth. I am now 51 years old and acutely aware of the dangers. And having a hard time not like <laughs> expressing that, but of course I don't want to. So Janelle and I just talked like, oh my gosh, she's going to be okay. You know, we're, we worry about her. Worry and fear is a part of parenting. And of course, Jesus' parents uh, experienced that fear. Uh, in my own relationship with my father several years back, as I was coming of age, I remember a particularly painful moment where he and I had a very serious conflict about politics. Can anybody relate to having a very serious conflict with your parents around politics? Uh, and I remember he and I got into a pretty significant argument about it. Um, and I have a fairly bad habit of intellectually belittling people who disagree with me. Uh, and I did that. And afterwards, it occurred to me that even though I disagreed with my dad about his conclusions, I disagreed with his positions, that I hadn't taken the time to even understand what his positions were. I just jumped straight to condemning him. Uh, and I think that there is something in this passage that can be helpful to us as we are navigating a society right now where we struggle with disagreement and conflict and condemnation and how fear plays into that. Before we do that, I want to ask you to just circle up and have a very brief conversation with each other. I'm going to ask you to get into groups of about you know three or four, just whoever's sitting near you is fine. If you'd rather not circle up with somebody, that's okay. You'll notice that there are like folders and notebooks in the pew back in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those and sit by yourself and sort of write your own thoughts to yourself. But if you are willing, circle up with about three other people. And I want to ask you this question. When have you had an experience of condemnation where disagreement led quickly to a place of condemnation? Now, maybe you were the one being condemned. Maybe somebody condemned you for your position or your opinion. Or maybe, like me, in my conversation with my dad, you were the one doing the condemning. Um, my guess is we've all been on both sides of that. So whatever you're comfortable sharing, just take a few moments, give everybody a chance to share a memory, maybe it's recent, maybe it's distant, of when you were in a kind of conflict that led to condemnation and how that affected you, how it impacted you, all right? Okay, I'm wondering if we might have one or two people who would be willing to share some portion of the story that you told. It's please do not feel pressured to share. Please do not feel pressured to share anything like deeply personal or vulnerable. But I'm wondering if we might hear from one or two of you who's willing to share. Nobody wants to share. <laughs> really? Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, oh, gosh. This is how I do it, right? Yeah. Right up to the mail. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I was in the state of Washington visiting my 40-year-old son and his family. And I have a daughter who's non-binary and lives in San Diego um, who has a way that they've chosen to live that um, my son does not agree with. And he just had a big Bible this thick and he was waving it around. And he was just like, it's all in here. <laughs> and just, and I realized he's just drawing his boundary because he's threatened. Um, I, realized, I realized that later. But so I wasn't being condemned so much except for that I said, I love you, I love Caro. And I told him I respected him too. It's not that I respect what he believes, but I respect his right to have his beliefs. And I'm, I can't tell him what to do. I can't tell Carol what to do. I can't tell anyone what to do, but I can just love them. But anyway, it was pretty harsh condemnation. Sibling against sibling. And I, and I, I can imagine how difficult it is as a parent to see your two kids experiencing that kind of like rift and condemnation and feeling like you want to fix it or do something about it and maybe and, and can't because they're adults, right? Um, it's a really fantastic example. So thank you very much for sharing. Uh, there may not be a more relevant example. And we, we know this in this church. Stephanie's speaking to it and Joey spoke to it earlier today. There may not be a better example than the way that we have a tendency to condemn each other over issues of sexuality, especially from a place of faith. And so I really do want to speak specifically into that kind of experience today. I think the story of Jesus as the boy in the temple is essentially an age-old story of how children, as they grow and mature, wrestle with breaking away from their parents' authority. Now, I don't want to like minimize this passage of scripture. I know that we, you know, and I especially am expected to like unpack these passages and provide, you know, deep theological truths or observations about them and tie them back to Jesus suffering a violent, bloody death on the cross. I'm not going to do that today. So if that's what you came here to hear, just know now, spoiler, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, instead, I do think that the gospel is in this story. But I, I think it's framed within this very familiar experience of when children come of age and they discover that they differ with their parents on something important or maybe even something trivial, and there's a power struggle between them. And I think that at the risk of oversimplifying, this is essentially a story of how Jesus, as a boy, is deeply curious about the most important things in life. Jesus as a boy who is essentially coming of age in the Jewish tradition, right around the time that you know, he would be having a bat mitzvah, he is becoming a man in that tradition. He is owning his own thoughts, his own ideas. He is forming his own identity on a deep level. And as he does, he is deeply curious about the answers to life's biggest and most difficult questions. And the pursuit of how to find answers to those questions, what is good and right and true, all of that is wrapped up in the word that we use, which is God. And so Jesus is going to the temple and to the teachers and trying to discover the answers to these questions. 
I think we can all identify with this sense of deep curiosity, like this inward pull towards discovering what is good and right and true and pursuing it with you know, tremendous energy at different points in our lives. I like actually the way C.S. Lewis wrote about this deep desire or longing for what is actually true in the world. And here's what he writes in The Weight of Glory. I referred to this a few moments ago. He says, in speaking of this desire, which we find in ourselves, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in every intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it. And we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that settled the matter. C.S. Lewis is trying to dig and scratch at the heart of what it is that draws us to pursue the deepest truths of our lives. And in shorthand, we call that deep pursuit of truth words like beauty and nostalgia and art and truth and God and love. These are our feeble efforts to somehow describe that longing, that deep desire that we all have to be whole and to be free and to be liberated, to experience it. And Jesus, I think, embodies that in this story. A 13 or 14-year-old Jesus abandoning his family and staying behind in the temple to pour through the records of the temple to talk with the teachers who ought to know something about this deep mystery that he longs for. Later on, Jesus, as a grown man in Luke chapter 17, would refer to this mystery again as the kingdom of God, which is sort of shorthand for the power of this thing that we struggle to name, but we somehow know it's there. We cannot capture it or contain it or own it, but we are deeply convinced that it's somewhere in existence. And Jesus says in Luke 17, in describing this, he speaks all about the kingdom of God in this chapter and others. But in Luke 17, he says, the kingdom of God is not this thing or that thing. Instead, it is among us and all around us. It's a deep mystery that we seek and pursue. I want to suggest to you today that partly the answer to this problem of encountering each other in condemnation is to lean into curiosity instead. When we encounter other people who have deeply divergent beliefs and convictions and values from our own, 
that instead of responding in condemnation, that we would tap into that internal impulse of curiosity, that desire to discover what's true. That even in the face of uh, a father or a mother or a sibling or a grown child who is saying things to you that you absolutely abhor, that you would somehow push aside this other thing that we're going to talk about in a moment and instead try to lean into curiosity. Why is it that they think what they think? Why is it that they believe what they believe? How is it that you can discover something true between you in that moment. Now, I think this story also contains the reason why that's so hard to do. And that is the fear that the parents are experiencing. The great enemy to curiosity, the great enemy to engaging with each other, to dig together for truths and goodness in spite of our differences is fear. And I think this story embodies both of those notions, curiosity and fear. Jesus, the boy in the temple, is deeply curious, just as most children are bound to be. And just as most parents are bound to be, his parents are terrified. Jesus is leaning into his curiosity and exploring and digging for the truth. And in doing that, he has left all caution behind. And his parents being parents, are afraid. They're afraid because it's their job to protect him. They're afraid because he's missing, and they can imagine all of the horrors of the world coming to bear on their young son, imagining all the terrible things that maybe could have happened to him. You guys, this is what parents do. We protect our children. And in this moment, that deeply rational and responsible response of fear is coming into conflict with a deeply natural curiosity and desire and longing for what is good and right and true. And I want to be clear. Jesus' parents are being rational. You would be right to be afraid if your 13-year-old son went missing for three days. Fear isn't always a bad thing. The world is full of danger. The world is full of traps and horrors. The world, as Janelle and I sometimes remark together, is often hell. And so fear is not always a bad thing. In fact, it can be a very good thing. I actually also really appreciate the way C.S. Lewis finishes out his thought on this issue by pointing out that just like fear, uh, that deep longing that he spoke of, that deep desire, that curiosity, can itself become a kind of idol. C.S. Lewis says, you know, we pursue this deep longing, this desire for what is good and right and true so vigorously that oftentimes we turn it into a dumb idol that governs our lives. But I think that that is not the problem of our current age. I think the problem of this moment in history that we all exist in together is that fear has become our idol. I think that as we are confronted by people 
and identities and beliefs and values and races and sexualities that we don't understand, that we are dangerously close to giving in to the idol of fear. And so in this moment, I think the lesson we have to learn from this passage is that it takes courage to lean into curiosity. That it would be easy for us at this moment to simply condemn everything that we don't understand. But that the truth, the goodness, the rightness, the beauty of God is found by pursuing with courage the curiosity that will help us to understand where God is in these differences. It really is a struggle between the deeply human, deeply innate impulse to be free to discover goodness in new places, in new people, in new expressions, versus the parental fear that we might get hurt. This, I think, is a, like a deep struggle in all of us. And I think Jesus points the way by showing us that when we experience that curiosity, when we pursue that longing and that desire, not in service simply to our own curiosities, but in service to what is good and right and true, then liberation is there. This, I think, is what we need to learn to cultivate. A capacity for curiosity. A capacity for encountering people who are different than we are, and having the courage to lean in with curiosity and learn more about them. And again, fears are sometimes rational. Fears can help us to not go where there is danger. So I want to say that for some of you, your fears might be well-founded. I am not saying that you ought to have a conversation with every human being who disagrees with you, especially if it's about your life, your identity, your well-being. You do not owe other people a conversation. And sometimes your fear provides very good guardrails for avoiding harmful situations. But hear me out, and you can disagree with this, of course, just like everything else. For most of us, and most of the people that we encounter, and most situations in our lives, there is no real existential threat. Do you hear me? For most of us, and for most of the people we encounter, and for most of the situations in our lives, there is no real existential threat. There is only the fear of that threat. But for some of you, and some of the people who disagree with you, and some circumstances, it'd be better to listen to that fear and avoid those situations. There is no easy rule. 
If I turn curiosity into a new law that you have to obey, then that's just another form of oppression and slavery. It's no better than being oppressed and enslaved by fear. The key is for you, like Jesus, to grow up and learn to discern the difference. To embrace the reality and the truth of both and to know with wisdom when is the right time to lean in with courage to those moments of curiosity. I think that we learn that wisdom every time we do this. When we gather, when we talk, when we share our stories, when we read these stories, when we sing, when we pray, hopefully what we're doing is we are being formed into people who have the wisdom to know the difference. Amen? Would you sing with me one more time? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather today. We ask that you would truly bless us with a sense of how your spirit, your presence, your words, your wisdom are shaping us and transforming us into people who really can navigate a world of fear. God, we ask that in all of our family situations, our friendships, our coworkers, our classmates, that as we encounter threats, as we encounter differences, as we experience the fear that rises up in us in those moments, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to know when it's right to walk away and when it's time to summon the courage to lean in with curiosity. Teach us to be a people who do not jump straight to condemnation, but instead learn to discern the good fruit of good trees and the bad fruit of bad trees. We would have the humility of Christ. And that you would produce moments of goodness in those exchanges and interactions. We ask that you'd be with us in all these experiences in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we have a couple opportunities to get involved if you're new or if you are not new. The first is we are starting some new dinner and dialogue groups in October and November. This is really exciting. We've been feeling for a really long time that we want to have a way for you all to go deeper in community outside of here. So we're just going to do three quick ones as kind of a soft launch. So we're looking for hosts to host that, but also we're looking for people to take part in that. So that's number one. Number two is our famous outgrowing immature religion class is starting up again. This is a brilliant class that Jason has put together. It always has a lot of people, a lot of new people. So this is really a class for you if you felt like you're kind of outgrowing your religious beliefs, you're a little confused about where you are. It's a very safe space to ask those questions and engage more. And lastly, our Justice Works team is putting together a candidate forum for our city council candidates in November. So what that means is basically this is going to be at St. John Church. 
we're going to have a lot of the local candidates there where you can ask them any questions you want about why you should vote for them. So as a church, we do not take a political side, Republican, liberal, anything like that, but we want to give you the opportunity to actually get to know the people in your community because they are going to make a difference and our voice matters. Lastly, as always, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to support us with your gifts or your time, you can do that at the website, the offering box at the back, or if you want to get involved with any of this, the QR codes around the building, you can scan those as well. So before we leave today, I was just thinking about this very special phrase, uh, tell me more. Right. So when Jason was thinking about talking about curiosity, engaging in curiosity and knowing, discerning if it's safe to do that, a really helpful phrase that maybe you could try out this week that I know I'm going to try out is just tell me more. Tell me more about that. And not only that, but to go within yourself and ask that question. Tell me more. Go to God and ask God, tell me more about that trigger. Tell me more about why I'm feeling this way. So that would be my encouragement for all of us this week. And then let us know how that goes when you come back. All right. So may the peace of God be with you. We'll see you next week. Thank you.